This is WMUA Amherst, and you are listening to... possibly know what we should do. What should we do? Get out of it for a while. Get into the countryside. Rejuvenate. Rejuvenate. I'm in a park and I'm practically dead. What good's the countryside? What time is it? It's eight. Four hours to opening time. God help us. Apart from a raw potato, it's the only solid to have passed my lips in the last 60 hours. I must be ill. Even a stopped clock gives the right time twice a day. And for once, I'm inclined to believe that Withnell is right. We are indeed drifting into the arena of the unwell. Making an enemy of our own future. What we need is harmony. Fresh air, stuff like that. Hello and welcome to Barbarian in the Valley, your noon to two spot here on WMUA Amherst. We are your connection. We are your score. We are your congregation. And what's more, we are gathered here today to give faith that we have found one another. That's right. Now each week we have, of course, a theme. And this week's theme is Way Stations. Let me say it again, it's Way Stations. Now we can only be down here so long before the rich, thick oxygen of the valley overtakes us. You and I know both that we will have to reach the other side. That time is already ticking. I am the B.I.Q. I am your barbarian in question, and you are, by virtue of listening, my barbarian Ken. So let's go. I said let's go. Come on. Come on and follow me. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. 
the show. In the late 90s, I worked for the Germans. This was up on the 31st floor of a skyscraper on 57th Street. And it was the German-American Chamber of Commerce. And inside that chamber, in the corner, with about four other people, I worked at the Cologne Trade Fairs. Now, the job of the Cologne Trade Fairs was to put on trade fairs in the city of Cologne, and they were always looking for customers here to go over there. So it was basically global trade. This job boiled down to two things. I entered data, and I called companies to refresh the data we had. So the work itself was pretty boring, and seasons would roll by, and I'd be entering the same list, and they always wanted me to re-enter the list, even if there was a list that was basically the same. I would start from scratch. And I was treated pretty well, I have to say. And they were like uh, colorful characters up there, and very different. The guy who actually run the clone trade fairs at the beginning was losing his mind and loved opera. And boy, he did not like me. But it was all routine, you know? It was the subway in the morning from Canal Street up to 57th Street, down the block hit the bakery at the base of the skyscraper and get my scone and get my coffee. Hustle into the elevator and get up on the floor and take my spot in the cubicle there near the corner under the bright fluorescent lights. And then I'd get my work assigned, although it was always better if I was working on something from the day before. Then I could just take care of myself and I would work for a couple hours and then bang down to 57th Street for my smoke break, because I was smoking back then. And then I'd go back to work for a couple hours. Work for a couple hours, and then go back down, hit the same bakery cafe, get my sandwich, cross over 57th Street, go through the number nine building lobby, cross the entrance of the Plaza Hotel, and go about 15 feet deep into Central Park, find a bench, eat my lunch, maybe have a smoke, turn around again, back up the elevators, up to the 31st floor, into my cubicle, work a couple hours, smoke break, work a couple hours, hour and a half, hour, back down to the street, into the subway, and back to Canal. Now this was real work of a kind. It wasn't like laying bricks, but they kept me busy. The Germans kept me busy, and it almost felt like to me that it would be for them insulting to me not to have me working the whole time. I don't know if that's like a German thing or what, but they basically kept me busy all the time. And my computer that I was working on mostly was even in those days was pretty ancient. It booted up DOS. It was just green pixels on a screen, essentially. There was no WYSIWYG as you'd call it. And there was no internet and I couldn't listen to the radio. I mean, it really was straight up work. Outside of the smoke break and the lunch, I was always busy. And if they saw that I wasn't busy, they got me busy. And I guess in some ways that was a blessing. There were a few breaks in the routine, you know, weather-related incidents. I always loved a thunderstorm rolling in because you could see it coming in from the floor. And sometimes it would get just real dark on a summer afternoon. 
you look at all the skyscrapers, all their lights would pop on. Meanwhile, you know, I'm writing. It's a means to an end. This isn't my life. This is only a way station. But you know, after a little while, after some months or years go by, really the means start becoming more than the end. And you start changing. And the job starts changing you. I just kind of started getting angry about certain things. I had this friend Deb, and sometimes she'd call me, and I don't know what was going on with her. I would, she would just kind of unload on me, and I wasn't even supposed to get phone calls in this office, and it would get me all riled up and angry. And I started to notice that when I got angry, the time really passed fast. Like, all of a sudden, I'd be boiling angry, and then the day would be over. The next time I would look up, I was ready to go home. And the job had gotten really so boring that that was actually a mixed blessing. I had the anger, but the day would pass. And days would pass now, and and now with passing of time, I kind of, well, I kind of sought out some anger. I had a literary agent back then, and he was not really on top of things as far as I could tell, and he was telling me things that I didn't want to hear, which was basically that all the editors thought my book was terrible or couldn't understand it or were hostile to it. So I'd get angry about him. Maybe I'd even call Deb to get angry. She'd be down there in Soho and I'd be up there on 57th Street and we'd be making each other angry and we'd get in this little angry dance. Because it made time pass. And it must have been maybe even a couple of months of this, one early spring that I was up there and I was basically angry every day. Of course, I'd go home exhausted and just worn down. But the day would pass fast. And after a while, that's all I was looking for. I was just looking for a way to get the day to end.
get to Boston, how do you find out about the job? So I found out about it through a guy we actually tried out on drums because he was doing valet, so he kind of turned us on to it. Although it is, it's interesting, it's a nighttime job. Yeah. Were you worried about that kind of cutting into playing out live? Um, not too much because we didn't really have much established. We were still rehearsing. We were having a tough time getting a drummer we liked. So you hear about this job valeting. Do you go to the company this guy's working for? Yeah, we went in, and I don't remember what the interview was like, but they, they're, you know, oh, you're a college graduate. Uh, okay, yeah, you're hired. What didn't you like about the job? I didn't like the sort of the nighttime life. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed partying and stuff, but after a while, I got tired of that routine. Going to bed every night around 1 or 2 or 3, getting up at 10, 11, 12, and then work, a bit of hanging out, and then do it all over again. It really, like, nothing else happened. It was really weird, and I feel like it was because of that. And meanwhile, you're in Boston to start a band. Right. Were you guys getting any traction with that? No, it didn't go anywhere. It was just like... It was kind of frustrating because we couldn't find the right drummer. So that kind of put a damper on things. Yeah. And then we were just working and partying. And at what point were you like, this is getting, this is not well, getting. We at some point, we kind of rekindled with our old, our drummer who had been playing with us in college. And he was like, he was like, if you guys are, you know, I'm, I'd love to play whenever. So let me know when you're up this way. And at a certain point. Boston, you know, was like, I'm only here at this point to valet and pay rent. So did did you feel defeated by the whole process or was it just a little bit more whimsical? I really I look back and I, I I'm really glad that I'd done it because I mean I learned how to get around that city and I knew the ins and outs. I mean I could parallel park in Boston with like, you know, fifty cars behind me honking and without sweating it.
some pretty solid well-paying jobs mm -hmm. were, and you're a writer were you writing all the time then or I was and 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 that was the, that was the, the romantic um, idea of the job which was that you know I would drive see interesting things meet interesting people make a little money and also have plenty of free time to write I'd be writing all the time Norm. <laughs> this was the idea <laughs> with a little notebook well, oh, in between had, dropping people off. Uh, yeah, and I did have a, a laptop computer that plugged into the, the battery, and uh, you know I had my little bag, and I you know I break that thing out on downtime. So you laughed, but were you able to do that? I, I wrote a fair amount. Um, didn't make nearly as much money as I thought I would. About half of what <laughs> what I thought I would, um, right. and it was much more of a scramble. Um, there's a lot of even though there's a lot of downtime, there's also a lot of logistically wasted time where it's hey take a run on out to the airport you know hit the limb hit the the thing take a shuttle bus over and you're going to meet and greet someone coming off a plane then once that's done the two-minute interaction you can get back take the shuttle bus back to the limo area get in your car drive back downtown and wait for your next job at the top did you have good conversations though yeah for sure occasionally um it was it was a bit of a strange situation for me sometimes because I, I you know, it wasn't a career. I never intended to work there for a long time. And so uh, this is probably more to do with my own insecurity or whatever. But I, you know, I would talk about, oh, I'm, I'm a writer too, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping to go to graduate school, which I, which I did straight. You know, I, I left that job and went to graduate school. But, you know, so that would come up a lot and I we would talk about that. And, and people would be, sometimes be surprised, you know, uh, um, and I would occasionally drive students, pe people, students at Harvard or, or, or the like. And um, so I would have good conversations there occasionally about what they're studying. And there was a woman who was uh, an actress and she was, you know, preparing to leave for New York and kind of go for her big break. So there were some really interesting people you would meet. Yeah. Did you ever feel conflicted about the job or were you just kind of like, this is it and this is what I'm doing right now? Oh... Uh, not so much about the job. I was disappointed with how much money money I made. I thought it was gonna, I thought I was going to make more money and and have more time to write, and there was a little bit less of each. Little and then each, yeah. and I was also at, while I was driving. That's when I was applying to graduate school, and um, I did get into. I went to Boston University then, but I also got rejected from Brown and Emerson and um, a couple of others, and so I was starting to think like maybe I'm just going to be a limo driver. Right. So in that sense I did feel a little bit conflicted about it. So but. it was a stressful time in that sense. In that sense, yeah. You yeah. didn't want to stay there. I didn't want to stay there but I also didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do next other than probably go to graduate school. importance of waiting to, to wait so what I wanted to ask is why why this waiting why does one have to wait 
this why can't it be without waiting for a long time thank you i did not talk about waiting for a long time i was talking about waiting as a quality not as time i was only talking about waiting as a certain quality within you not about how long have you waited you're fidgeting you fidgety and you wait for a thousand years is no good you're fidgety and you're waiting for 10000 years what does it mean it means nothing it just means you're wasting your time waiting is a quality that you simply wait you can only wait upon somebody or something when you do not think much of yourself If you're absolute nothing you can wait on anything. If you think too much of yourself you cannot wait upon anything or anybody. You will see the more educated people become, the more affluent people become. They cannot wait. Have you seen this? People who don't think much of themselves You ask a villager comes here you tell him just wait he'll simply sit there whole day but you ask an educated man to wait in a minute he will look at his watch five times because he cannot wait because he thinks too much of himself one who does not think much of himself can simply wait and If you understand the proportion of who you are in this existence you would know there was no other way than to wait right now when i say the proportion you are a speck compared to the cosmos isn't it you better wait if you don't know how to wait you will know nothing because your proportion in relation to the existence is too small there's nothing you can do is there something you can do if you hop around what do you get you get nothing you can earn hypertension but nothing else you'll get so i am not asking you to wait there is simply nothing else to do not my idea that you should wait if you could go and get it i would say go get it you can't go and get it so you better wait if you are very rich and capable you will go to the store and get what you want if you're poor what do you do you go and wait in front of the ration shop they'll say they'll open at 10 o'clock they always open only at 12:30 <laughs> but you wait the bag in your hand because if you don't wait there are 100 people standing behind you you will end up in the last you will have to wait the whole day so you will wait why because you're incapable of doing something else right now look at your position in the existence are you capable of anything else than to wait are you i ask with reference to the existence are you capable of doing anything else except waiting that's all you can do
at least do it joyfully. Just to wait. So waiting is not about time, waiting is a certain quality. It's a certain way of being and that is only possible when you understand your proportion in the existence. If you have funny ideas in your head, you cannot wait. You have exaggerated sense of who you are, you cannot wait. If you think you're a king, you cannot wait. When you see the reality of who you are in this existence, only then you can wait. Waiting comes because you have perceived the reality the way it is. You're unable to wait because your mind is full of fancifulness. Perception will naturally lead to waiting. few have traversed, have conversed, have run astray, but we are through now, you and I. And yet together still, climbing up the other side, the peak is in sight, the air is getting thinner. And our consciousness is getting clearer as we get sleepier. But I want to thank you for joining us. And I want to remind you, we have a whole other hour coming up. And that in fact, the next hour will be with Jeremy Whalen discussing power. Power dynamics. I'm your B.I.Q. I'm your barbarian in question. You are my barbarian, Ken. Stay tuned.